This is Amanda Deering. And this is Haley Oliver. And And you're you're listening listening to This is Purdue. Hi, I'm Kate Young, and you're listening to This is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. As a Purdue alum and Indiana native, I know firsthand about the family of students and professors who are in it together, persistently pursuing and relentlessly rethinking. Who are the next game changers, difference makers, ceiling breakers, innovators? Who are these boilermakers? Join me as we feature students, faculty, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. Our department, we really are aligning ourselves to be a major player in that alternative protein space. Think insects, soy, any of those products. And I think that's the next big thing in food science. Yeah, the piece of the discussion where food science is going to really play a role looking forward is in sustainability. We have increasing population. We have climate change. How are we going to produce enough food and efficiently? Food science is a major part of that discussion. Hi, this is Purdue listeners. This is our second episode of our new Purdue research series, which tells the stories of how Purdue provides practical solutions to the world's toughest challenges. Each episode will give you a firsthand look into a challenge the world faces, and we'll take you through how world-class Boilermaker researchers are working to find the solutions to these daunting problems. By the way, if you haven't checked out our first Purdue Research Series episode with Mark Lundstrom discussing the importance of semiconductor education and research, be sure to give that a listen. This episode is digging into something we all know and love, food. And really, what's more important than feeding the world? Food holds immense significance to the world on various levels, encompassing social, cultural, economic, and environmental aspects. And food requires global attention and collaborative efforts to ensure food security and promote sustainable production systems. Food is important for providing energy, essential nutrients, supporting growth and development, promoting good health, and enhancing physical and mental performance just to name a few. Simply put, it's a fundamental necessity that impacts our well-being and quality of life. So in this episode, we're talking to Boilermakers Amanda Deering, Associate Professor of Fresh Produce Food Safety, and Haley Oliver, the 150th Anniversary Professor of Food Science, about a challenge facing the entire world, food safety, security, and sustainability. Amanda and Haley in the College of Agriculture's potting lab, surrounded by lush greenhouses, plants, fruits, and veggies. If you want to experience the full visuals, be sure to check out our full video interview on our This Is Purdue YouTube page. We kick things off with these food science experts by discussing their work at Purdue and what made them interested in food at an early age. Here's a hint. They both grew up in homes that were centered around food. Amanda and Haley, we are so excited to feature you on This is Purdue. Thank you for joining us. We've got a very unique setup, so we're very happy to have you both. Tell us a little bit about your research and what you both do at Purdue. So my research is mostly food safety related, and I really focus on produce, but we do a little bit of everything. So I work a lot with extension. I work with produce growers throughout the state of Indiana and really help with anything food safety related. So it can be from produce to 
other products that food on, emerging food entrepreneurs are doing, you name it. I think we wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah. And I think that'll be a consistent theme as we look at yep. what food safety is and how right. we engage with that here at Purdue. But Haley Oliver, 150th anniversary professor of food science. So I have a lot of history and teaching and really enjoy that. But on the research side, also focus on food safety. We'll call it historically or in my domestic research program, we focus on food safety at retail or post-manufacturing. So anything you need to know about a grocery store, just let me know. Okay. <laughs> um, and one of my other hats is directing the USAID Feed the Future Food Safety Innovation Lab, where we take our understanding of food safety and help developing economies apply those practices where it's important to them. So we do a lot of the same things, just in a little different applications, I mm -hmm. guess you would say. I read that you both grew up on farms too. So you have that in common. Was food always really interesting to you? How did you kind of forge this career path? It's interesting. So yes, I grew up in a farm in Michigan and you know, we always grew our own food, a lot of our own food anyway. But I went to college to actually work more in the medical field. And I quickly learned that animals and humans were not my forte <laughs> to, to learn about or to try to understand. So I really found my niche in, in microbiology and plants in general. So I did a master's degree in plant biology, and then I did my PhD in food microbiology. So I kind of put those two things together, and that's how I started working in this fresh produce food safety field. And so far, it's been a great ride, and working with Extension has been a privilege, and I thoroughly enjoy working with all of our Indiana stakeholders. Another thing we have in common is we're first-generation college students. Sure. And so I know when I started college, I started off as a communication major. That obviously didn't work out. Because <laughs> we had it all planned out. Yeah, right? it was a big plan. Um, <laughs> but you have these things like university core curricula, and I needed to take another biology class, and that happened to be microbiology. And I fell in love with it. And that's not common, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to stay connected to agriculture. Yes, did grow up in a production farm in Wyoming. and. I think exposure, it's kind of interesting how you ran away from the human side. What intrigued me was the human pathogen side and how you could make this microbiology relevant, but to humans. And then I still wanted to stay somehow connected to agriculture. So food microbiology is kind of the sweet spot for being able to do that. The two discussed their journeys to Purdue University. I actually came to Purdue to work on plants, more plants. And as I started, I was like, this just isn't what I really wanted to do. And food science just reached out to me. And I wasn't really even familiar with the field of food science, but everything, it was so applied and there was so many job opportunities, you know, and that's what yeah. we always tell our undergrads. You're always going to have, somebody's always going to have to make food. People need to eat. And just the opportunities to be in that field and it worked. I could actually still work with bacteria. I could still work with plants and stay in that field of food microbiology. So I think that's kind of how I came about. And again, it kept me connected to agriculture. And it was just a natural fit. I needed a job. No, I didn't. We all eventually need one of those, it turns out. But yeah, I'd finished my degree at Cornell in food science. But yeah, and good point on what is food science mm -hmm. and, and how do you find that? Because it can mean a lot of things at the surface, but it's really a, a huge collection of disciplines from food production, processing, safety, chemistry, sensory. We, we have many disciplines within that house. 
But I didn't have a plan. As many people, I think, finish their PhD, still run into that of the what next. When you have opportunities with industry, Mm -hmm. government, or stay in academia. And I was kind of operating under the philosophy that I'd give academia a try because you can always step away. So there was an opportunity here in 2010 to join the faculty. And I was uh, lucky enough to be selected for that position. Amanda shares a common misconception on what exactly food science is and what food science researchers really do. But I think people think food science, like, we cook. I mean, we cook. We do cook. Let's dig in. What is food science? What do you think is the most important thing for people to know about it? But what I love about food science, it's like what Haley just said. It's chemistry. It's microbiology. It's engineering. It's packaging. All this goes into making a food product. And so we are an interdisciplinary program. And we have to be, and that's the cool part to me. My office is next door to a chemist, and then the next door down is an engineer. I love that. And so it's not like we're all just working on the same thing, but we all have our specialized areas, and it all comes together then to help the food industry in general. And I think the piece of the discussion where food science is going to really play a role looking forward is in sustainability. We have increasing population. We are have climate change. How are we going to produce enough food and efficiently? Food science is a major part of that discussion. We look at how much is lost, how much is wasted from primary production, manufacturing, and retail level. I try not to have my house be the place where fruit goes to die, but, you know, it's a risk. <laughs> but how do we prevent that? And food science is a big part of that discussion. Haley has a few important questions there. As the Earth's population continues to grow and natural resources and climate conditions are reduced, feeding people is increasingly harder. I asked Amanda and Haley to dig further into food sustainability. See, it's not just about the food. It's about how the food is produced, distributed, and even packaged. A sustainable food system provides healthy food to people and creates sustainable environmental, economic, and social systems that surround food. Tell us more about the food sustainability part and why that's a key initiative within Purdue's College of Agriculture. I think we've been talking about that for a long time. I think that's on the College of Ag that's been on our radar for many, many years. And, you know, it's a growing population and we work with the people that are supplying the food for that population, right? And we need to have enough. And so, like Haley said, just thinking about efficiency and how we can reuse resources. I think since I've been in the college, that's been key. It has. And I think that the narrative, I would say that the narrative on it has expanded to what sustainability means. If you look at agriculture here at Purdue, it ranges from small growers, specialty crops, which are displayed here, which are human consumption, all the way to commodity, corn, soybean, and proteins, uh, chicken and pork. You know, we represent this massive continuum of agriculture. And so the strength of the college, faculty, staff extension here is that we have expertise in that range. And so coming together, especially interdisciplinary like food science, like like many of the departments here in the college, it takes that collected expertise to move the needle on more resilient crops, on better food processing. We're not food processing. That term even gets a bad rap, but we have to process food. This has all been processed by definition. We have to do that in order to actually achieve our sustainability goals. 
I think that's what we always, at least when I work with stakeholders, I may not have the answer, but the College of Agriculture as a whole, like Haley said, there's experts all over. We can find that answer. And I think that's always the cool part. You know, it may not be exactly what I do, but I can find somebody in the college that can answer those questions. That's how you get to be number three in the country and number five in the world. (laughs) And on our way up, I do believe. Amanda and Haley discuss what they believe is the next big thing in food science. Alternative proteins. That's the next big thing. And I think our department, we really are aligning ourselves to be a major player in that alternative protein space. We just got a new extruder that we can actually use to produce some of these alternative protein products. So think insects, soy, any of those products. And I think that's the next, in my opinion anyway, that's the next big thing in food science. Yeah, and kind of space that we're working in now is maybe integrated systems. Um, One of our colleagues has a program looking at, at fruit and vegetable production and aquaculture. So how do you do nutrient cycling, energy cycling, life cycle assessment? those types of systems. Food safety, I think the way I boil it down and how it fits into the discussion of food security, sustainability, if it's not safe, it's not food. End of story. We can't have our food doing harm from a chemical or microbiological standpoint. So as we move into new foods or could be even cellular agriculture, so lab-grown products, that still has to be safe. But we also need, as we try to increase and shift the narrative of what the American or Western diet looks like, more fruits and vegetables, those also have to be safe for us to actually achieve some of those nutritional outcomes. That Coparian extruder Amanda mentioned was donated by Hill & Brand in June 2023. It's valued at more than $900,000 and will expand testing capabilities within that alternative protein food category you just heard about. It also provides Purdue students with hands-on opportunities. And speaking of students, I asked Amanda and Haley what it feels like leading the next generation of food science students and researchers at Purdue. That's the exciting part. You are training that next person to go into industry, to run the Kellogg's, to run the Pepsi's, to run the Nestle's of the world. And even I still work with a lot of students who want to go into small farming operations. That's exciting, too. Their dream is to farm five acres, and they're going to do that. We're here to help that. We do everything from that, the small scale, up to these big corporate companies of the world. And and I think that, to me, is exciting. It's always fun to start off the fall by reading what parts of our lived experience the freshmen haven't had. So is what year would they have born, been born this year? Oh, you no, know, yeah, we were probably in college. <laughs> yeah, they've had the internet and we were in college. Not good for anybody those years. <laughs> but, you know, it's a nice benchmark, I guess, personally. Who is your client? What do they know? What is their lived experience? What are they interested in? And sustainability, we know, is a big theme around what our current students are excited and interested in and alternative proteins. If you'd rewind the clock, I think back to when we became faculty members 10 years ago, that narrative was slightly different. You know, our students were kind of headed for what I would call, I call it big food, but like the bigger companies that are established. And I think Amanda made the point that the narrative's changed. We still have students, you know, we have near 100% placement of our domestic students out of food science when you graduate within six months, like you have a job. 
But the range of their jobs and what they're doing has changed in the last 10 years. And I think the nice part about that, one, we have to change as a society, but it helps us keep up to. Like we're not stuck. Food doesn't let you be stuck in a space, I think. People in general, they want to know more about their food. They want to know the ingredients that are going in there. They want to know where it was processed. They're asking those questions. And so that makes us then have to step up our game to make sure that those consumers know that information. So we've heard about food sustainability and how alternative proteins could transform our food system. But how is the research being done right here at Purdue University impacting the entire world? I mean, we, I think it's part of what we do is get that information out. And what Haley and I do a lot of international work. And so it's education, you know, it's doing trainings, it's doing workshops, it's working with different stakeholders and different industries throughout the world. And that's how you do change it. That's like she said, that's how you move the needle is getting that information and just being good at disseminating it. And I think us as a college in general, we're very good at that. We are, I think, a prime example of what a land-grant university is and how it operates. And, you know, Amanda and I have had the pleasure of traveling all over the world to look at agriculture systems, food production systems. But what remains kind of uniquely American, we'll call it that, and the the moral act is the creation of the land-grant system, where you bring together teaching, research, and extension and, and engagement. So yes, you have the investment in the infrastructure to ask the hard questions that may not be funded otherwise. So how do you improve safety? How do you improve production, resiliency, breeding, all the way to forestry, obviously, here in the college? You can do that research, but it has to get to the end user. And that's the importance of extension. And of course, we're the land grant of the state of Indiana. So teaching, developing next generation investigators and employees. It's what we do. And I think it, again, kind of uniquely American, but I think one of the most important investments and pieces of policy that was ever written in this country. One example of how Amanda and Haley are spreading the word in their international work was helping to build a food technology department at a university in Afghanistan. And Haley is the director of the Feed the Future Innovation Lab for Food Safety, which was established with the goal to improve food safety in Nepal, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Nigeria, Kenya, and Senegal. We'll hear more about this innovation lab later in the episode. Amanda is also currently working on the Peru Hub Project, part of a $15 million United States Agency for International Development grant that involves helping farmers in Peru find alternatives to growing coca, the raw material for cocaine. Amanda and Haley discuss the economic side of food science and how that impacts food safety. Well, some of the work we're doing in Peru is they're trying to change or make a shift from coca production that a lot, especially this is in the Amazon, highlands of the Amazon jungle. They're trying to get them away from coca production and turning to alternative crops. So one thing that we're doing, one, is to train them how to grow these crops safely, following good agricultural practices, but then also how to transform them into something they can actually make money selling. So they're adding value to it. So instead of just selling cocoa beans, they're going to turn it into chocolate. And so they've had some success already doing that, but we're working on a lot of just trying to help them make more money. We'll see. 
we're in year two. <laughs> we have a few more years left. But I think it's things like that. You know, it's education is huge. And people will do exactly what you train them to do. They just don't know at the time what are some of those food safety issues. So I think that's one thing that, well, you and I have been doing for many years in different countries, working with food manufacturers and growers and everything in between just to help improve food safety. I think you bring up, I mean, a good point of what drives a lot of what people will do or what they can do. There's no escaping the economics piece of it. If it doesn't make financial sense, if changing a system of production or processing, if those costs can't be either absorbed by the producer or transferred to the consumer, that's going to be a barrier. As we work internationally, I think you you see it too, that actually the biggest barrier to behavior change, which is what this is all about at the end of the day, is awareness. If we step outside of the United States, the vast majority of consumers and concerns are founded in chemical, what we call chemical hazards, pesticide residue, aflatoxins, things that, you know, are rightfully a concern, heavy metals as well. However, if we look at what the data say in the United States and globally, the greatest risk are microbiological hazards. Why do I think that is? You can see people apply pesticides. You can see application of some of, the, of these products heavy metal, you know, metal's a tangible thing. Guess what's not so tangible? Salmonella, right? You can't really see that thing very well unless it's on a plate. And so without education, it becomes more a leap of faith in a way that you have some invisible thing on maybe produce X or in poultry that can actually do serious harm. So elevating awareness of what's actually causing the vast majority of disease globally is hurdle number one, at least from my lens in the Food Safety Innovation Lab. Amanda shares an example of how something as simple as a training course can drastically improve food safety practices. When we worked with a company in Chicago that was importing saffron from Afghanistan, and so they were rejecting about half of the shipments because they were all contaminated with human pathogens, so E. coli, salmonella, things like that. So what we did was actually go and train their workers. So it was their harvest crews and the people doing the processing. We trained them just a training on good agricultural practices and good manufacturing practices. And the following year, they didn't reject one shipment. So it just goes to show that training goes a long way. And it's not that people don't want to do the right yeah, thing. Yeah, it's just, it's awareness. Right. They just, yeah. they're not aware what the right thing is. As long as it's economically viable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Another interesting takeaway from their trainings in other countries, such as Peru and Afghanistan, include the importance of gender representation in food production. Amanda and Haley expand on this. We've really worked hard to include women in indigenous populations with these, the trainings that we do. They are like sponges. They just want to learn. We've worked with a lot of chocolate manufacturers in that area. And it's very interesting to see other developmental projects have been around there and helped them get to where they are now. But it's very interesting. They all produce exactly the same looking chocolate bar, the same recipe, the same packaging. So we're working on the marketing side to help them make a fancier package so you can be different. And so I think that's been the cool part, just working with that and literally just trying to figure out what are some new products we can make. So we have people working at Purdue in food science, how to turn 
passion fruit into something that's not currently in their market. So we've been working with students to do passion fruit butter. What can they make that's different and new that even the Peru people would support and purchase those products? Or could it be for export? So both of those things have been probably the most interesting and fun part of that project. I'm glad you, I forgot, as I do, as I age here, right? Uh, gender, you know, it's a big part of the innovation lab as well. And why do we think about that? It's because in many, many cultures, women make the decisions around food and even production or a big part of production. And so if they haven't been included in the discussion or continuing education, you're leaving out the labor force and deciders. And that's not how you move the needle. I would have never thought about that. That's how Afghanistan was, too. When we started working there, we were training all men. Yeah, the men did not grow any of the food. They didn't harvest any of the food. They ate the food. Yeah, they ate the food, but yet that's who we were training. And so in during that project time, we increased the number of women about 80%. We were doing then women-only training, and that was when you could really have those discussions with women. Because if they were in a group, with men that were present, they wouldn't talk. They wouldn't say sure. anything. But when they were by themselves, they would ask questions, they're involved, they're engaged. And so that's a huge part of targeting that right population. And in most countries, it's surprising the amount that women do related to food. Part of fully understanding the global food system and moving the needle, as Haley said, is being able to visit these countries for in-person trainings and programs. Amanda and Haley discussed the importance of studying abroad within the food science department and the ample opportunities Purdue provides for students. When we're in the classroom, we talk about going, we tell these stories, we talk about what we do in these countries. And I teach this, it's for incoming freshmen, just women in agriculture class. So it's their first semester at Purdue. They're in the College of Ag. There's usually about 40 some women in there. And the first thing I do is say, you need to do a study abroad. Here's how you apply for the scholarships for the study abroad. And here's the places I worked and what we've done. And I think they're all fired up to do. And I think most of our students in the department all do some sort of study abroad. Yeah. The, most of them anyway. Pre-pandemic, I think yeah. the College of Agriculture undergrads, it was almost 40% yes. did study abroad. And I know we're working hard to get students back to that level because it is important to have a more global perspective. We do not just live within the confines of Purdue, of Tippecanoe County, of Indiana, or even the country. So getting out there, taking risk, helping people take that leap or what might be perceived as risk, help them get through that, I think is important. And I guess I would even say part of that being first-generation college students, we know what that first, (laughs) you know, dipping your toe into academia looks like. So I haven't forgotten. But I grew up an hour well, 45 minutes to an hour from the nearest Walmart. Like I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Wow, so it's I'm with like, you. Yeah, it's, we didn't grow up in a place where you went to India, you worked in Peru, you worked in Cambodia. That wasn't our everyday. This life. wasn't my plan either. I right. wasn't on my radar. But but yeah. that's the opportunities that come into a place like Purdue yeah. gives people. Those opportunities are there. Whether you want to take them or not is up to you, but we certainly encourage everyone to take those opportunities and give it a try. But what would happen if people like Amanda and Haley weren't doing this research at Purdue? What if they weren't visiting these various countries and doing these trainings? Well, it could result in truly worst case scenarios, people getting extremely sick and even dying. 
The two researchers discussed the listeriosis outbreak of food poisoning across 28 U.S. states that resulted from contaminated cantaloupes in 2011. 33 people died and there were 147 cases confirmed in the aftermath. It was the worst foodborne illness outbreak in America, measured by the number of deaths, since the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention began tracking outbreaks back in the 1970s. So we had the outbreak with the cantaloupe and salmonella that devastated the industry. And the industry basically as a whole said, we need someone at Purdue that does produce food safety. And that's how my job came about. And so I'd like to think anyway that our growers in Indiana would have, they wouldn't have that. They'd have more risk. Yeah, there'd be more risk and less support because we'll do anything with them. I mean, we come out and do farm visits. We work one-on-one with them. If there's some research that they want, like looking at a new sanitizer Mm -hmm. treatment, we'll do that research for them. Do those experiments to see how well the sanitizer kills bacterial pathogens or not. You know, we try to be everything to the industry that we can be. And so I guess I would like to think there'd be more risk if we weren't doing what we do. When I was hired at Purdue in 2010, I was hired as a primary teaching appointment, which was a a big leap, actually, for me, coming from, you know, a background of sequencing genomes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, being able to teach and have that knowledge transfer piece, I found think over time that that was something that I could do at least moderately well. But our opportunities, so where does Purdue benefit maybe from what we do or how are we reducing risk? Because we do so much research for development or international development and have both a very domestic presence and experience of what is going on here in the Midwest, but also in some of the, you know, remote corners of the world and economies that are up and coming, we can bring those experiences together Learned experiences in Indiana agriculture is translatable to production in Cambodia. There is translation there. But what we can then do with those experiences to bring back to the classroom, I think, makes us much more effective. So probably bottom line, the utilities in the classroom (laughs) of like a true measurable difference, because that's how we can really spend a lot of quality time with our clients as students and share or affect how they think about food safety going forward. Part of Amanda and Haley's work within the food science department at Purdue is tied to prevention. Amanda works with Purdue Extension to prevent things like that 2011 tainted cantaloupe case from ever happening again. The two expand on this notion of prevention through education. Like I said, we always try to be the one-stop shop. And so you come to us, we always say, you know, this is our job. This is what (laughs) we get paid to do. Use us. And we do training. So we train a lot of growers in good ag practices. And that last thing we always say is, this shouldn't be the last time we talk. Really, we're a resource. And and they take us up on it, which is great. So we just keep going. We just pray we have no outbreaks. <laughs> well, <laughs> produce in Indiana, that's our... <laughs> yeah, but if you, you know, that's the thing. Amanda works in a preventive space. We try not to have reactions to contamination, and that's really kind of at the heart of everything you do with with growers. Through education, Mm -hmm. prevention through education is a lot of it. And if you look at foodborne disease trends for the last 10 to 15 years, it does look like that produce has really increased in the number of outbreaks. That may be true, but it also is complicated by the fact that our technology for detection, time to detection, ability to define an outbreak has improved dramatically 
through technologies like whole genome sequencing. So have the problems always been there? Probably. But does it look like we're having emerging, whether it's emerging pathogens, emerging disease associated with produce? Like we didn't always, I remember (laughs) in a grant review of mine, we had a vested interest, submitted a USDA proposal several years ago, a lot of years ago, like 12, that was proposing to update the likelihood of listeria, which is a pathogen I've worked on for a lot of years, listeria monocytogenes in produce. One of the comments from the reviewers back literally said we were on a witch hunt. That was nice to see as a new faculty member. You're like, oh, so we're crazy. Good. Yeah. And then what happens in 2011? Cantaloupe is at the heart of one of the most deadly listeriosis outbreaks in the country. And what do we see? Things changing over time. Not necessarily change, but because we have technology and more information Mm -hmm. and able to synthesize that information, we see that disease is attributed to produce. Yeah. When Haley and I are both members of the Center for Food Safety Engineering, that's here at Purdue. And that's really what the center does is we're the microbiologists, but we work with engineers that they're developing these new better detection methods. Because again, it's all how few bacteria can you detect and how quickly can you Fast detect it. Time. That's what time the focus to detection. Is. So yep. we're kind of the support team. We're not the engineers. We're the, <laughs> we're the boots on the ground of the micro right. team. <laughs> we help them test out what sure. they design. But I think that is a partnership that mm-hmm. has helped develop these detection methods for the industry. The Purdue Extension Food Safety Training Hub is located at the Vincennes University Agricultural Center near one of Purdue's research farms. Amanda manages produce safety trainings there. She discusses how her Boilermaker persistence ultimately led to the creation of Purdue Extension. This is where persistence gets you somewhere with that, the food safety training hub. <laughs> so I had this idea for years and years before, and I, I would work with all these growers. And I said, if I just had a space where I could show this equipment, I could do these demonstrations with them, show them how to use this equipment, it would be fantastic. And so I kept, I just kind of, you know, it's like the little mat at the barbecue. (laughs) Just kept it up. (laughs) Like a sugar ant. I just kept saying it, saying it and saying it. And sure enough, so what year was that? 2019? COVID years. Before the pandemic. I think November before, so maybe 2018, is when the, all the stars aligned and we worked with BU, Vincennes University, and they were building a building and it just worked out. And we got money through FDA and the Department of Health to build that facility. So that's one example of where persistence pays off and or being annoying. I don't know. How. <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of words yeah. we could use. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of but I just kept saying it. And finally, yeah. it says, yes, we need to have this. So it's been a, it's amazing space down there. We've worked with a lot of growers. We've hosted trainings from the North Central region. So what the 13, 14 states that make up the North Central region have come there. Regulatory people from FDA, their Department of Eggs, their Department of Health, growers, extension people. We've hosted trainings there. So this has been a great collaboration and something I'm very glad it happened. And we're very appreciative of our collaboration with BU. While Amanda focuses on prevention and leads efforts with the Purdue Extension, 
Haley focuses more on food safety and serves as the director of the Feed the Future Innovation Lab for Food Safety. As you heard earlier in the episode, USAID awarded Purdue a $10 million grant to establish the Feed the Future Lab with the goal to improve food safety in Nepal, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Nigeria, Kenya, and Senegal. And food safety is vital when it comes to the growing global population. Here's Haley. I think the first thing we have to demystify is that it's not a lab. Makes it sound like we have a facility. It's not. And and what it is, it's a collective of researchers domestically in the United States and then their global university and industry partners coming together to work on food safety challenges, usually in a specific commodity or or subsector of the food, food industry where they want to see improvements. And so as a director, I have the pleasure of directing and guiding the research portfolio for the Food Safety Innovation Lab, which is a U.S. State Department investment in food safety. Why do we do that? Food safety ties back to food security. It's a part of the fundamental definition of it. Of it, it has to be safe or nutritious. It, you have to have enough of it. It has to get to the population that needs it. And if it's not safe, it doesn't matter. So those four things coming together are really the foundation of the research that we work on. And and the more we get into it, the more we continue to focus on awareness. We, you know, this is a taxpayer dollar investment. And so what I care about is that we're using it, one, for good, do no harm, but but elevate awareness in the challenges that are the greatest. And in this instance, when it comes to food and food safety, it's microbiology. As unfun and underwhelming as that might seem to many populations, bacteria are a big challenge. And so we invest in elevating awareness, which To the long game, what does it do? You have more people that better understand the challenge, which can then fundamentally affect policy. Because in most instances, you have to have regulations and policy in order to affect some change. Some, uh, they're called push-pull models, but on the industry or private sector side, you can have an interest in food safety because you're trying to reach higher value markets. And so other people's regulations may be stopped. Kind of that example with the saffron, you couldn't import because it didn't meet quality and safety standards. So as we work at that interface of U.S. researchers partnering with in-country researchers, 14 U.S. universities, 14 in-country universities and private sector partners coming together to work on my favorite topic, food safety. And microbiology was the class you fell in love with. It was. I had to work so hard in that (laughs) class. I have my notes from it still. It was hard. It was a challenge, but it you could see, you're like, this is fascinating because they were unknown to me. And it was a little still leap of faith, if you will, until you got into the lab. Why active learning, experiential learning is so a big theme at Purdue and why we do it. Because I needed to see those. And it was, it was the biochemical tests and memorizing all that. If you asked me to memorize that today, I mean, it would take 16 years. (laughs) But back then when it was all sharp and fresh, (laughs) that was my joy. That was my love. Do we do it anymore today? No. You know, all the joys died from that, but <laughs> it was motivational at the time. It you know, changed every decision I made about a career from yeah. there forward. But yeah, I've got my green Dr. Isaac. Can't forget. <laughs> I asked Haley what she's most excited about as the director of this innovation lab, which her colleague Amanda and several other Purdue professors are part of as well. We have a lot of things that I can be excited about, but I think One is that we began the innovation lab. It became a Purdue contract and it's in partnership with Cornell. We do things differently in our innovation lab. And I think part of it is because we are not lifers of international development. We're relatively new to it. So we bring a different lens. We don't have 
historical approaches, which I think actually contributes to our innovation. So it's not just at Purdue. It's not just at a single university like most innovation labs. We partner with Cornell. So we have joint management, which means we can tap into the resources of both institutions. Shocking, right? It's a good idea to be able to bring that kind of bench to the table. So I like that we do things differently. We started in August of 2019, which means we have done all of this work through a pandemic and we've still been able to meet our goals. We've still produced meaningful research, but it's about having the right partnerships, people that know how to navigate transatlantic, transpacific relationships. And oh my gosh, thank goodness for platforms like Zoom. Cornell is where you went to school, right? It is. So what is it like working hand in hand with your alma mater? It's a lovely thing. It's the land-grant university of New York as well. And so we have common goals. And when I look, this is, I don't have any like hard facts for you, but if we look at the distribution of agriculture in New York and Indiana, they're different. And I think it contributes to a non-competitive space. Our colleges are different, but so complementary. And I suppose we kind of joke, but not really. Why did we include them on their team so they wouldn't compete? No, <laughs> bring together to the most influential, productive colleges of agriculture together. Why not? It's just good resource management, but also joy. Faculty that I knew as a student to be able to then work in a relationship with them as colleagues. There's just no better joy. And I think like most things in agriculture, it's a lot about who you know and who's in your network. And I think communicating that to our students, it's so important. The team members of the Food Safety Innovation Lab have experience in more than 25 countries tackling health and food safety issues. And Haley explained, we can have nutritious food and get it to the populations that need it, but if it's not safe, that food security piece is lost. Purdue's College of Agriculture is one of the world's leading colleges of agriculture, food, life, and natural resource sciences. And research being done right here in the heart of Indiana is helping feed the world. World Food Prize winners. Yeah, that's true. We have two World Food Prize winners. I mean, that's kind of the Nobel Prize in the food world. And we have two of them in the College of Agriculture. And again, most of it was how to transport yeah, innovation in food. Yeah, how to transport food better, how to grow different varieties better. I yeah, I think that's part of the legacy of the College of Agriculture. I do, to your point, on alternative proteins and, and you know, in, a, in joint interest across many colleges, but primarily agriculture and engineering, we have um, an increased interest and definitely an increased presence in what we're, what's called cellular agriculture. So cell-based, hate to call it lab-grown because it's not much of a lab, it'd be food processing, really. But, you know, how do we grow more food in different, using different food systems? Because protein demand is going to remain, remain the challenge. I don't see it at odds with our traditional conventional agriculture because a number of the inputs that we already produce are going to be inputs into systems like cellular agriculture. So, you know, produce at the edge of the next thing, but also has this amazing track record of how we continue to get to do the next big thing. Yeah, but I think we're always encouraged too, through different funding opportunities through the college. We're encouraged to try new things and look for different solutions and just from the college in general. So I think that's, it's a very supportive atmosphere. It is. And you can see this across the university, but our commitment to innovation 
that's rooted in the College of Agriculture, very much a part of how we operate as well. So it's valuing that like we value fundamental research or excellence in teaching and extension is is a, a great thing. And I think it sets Purdue apart from a number of institutions of our, our land-grant colleagues where we put innovation really as a part of our thread, as a part of what we value. That's what this research series is all about. And speaking of innovation, there's a reason Purdue has been named in the top 10 most innovative schools in the U.S. for five years running. Amanda and Haley reflect on this Boilermaker community and what persistence means to them. The whole Boilermaker spirit is you don't give up. You find a way. I do believe if there's a will, there's a way. It might be a weird path and it might not look like a traditional path, but if you want to do it, you can do it. And I think at least in our department and in the College of Ag, we're encouraged to find that path. And if you have an idea, go for it. And I think that's what persistence to me is. Don't accept the failure until it's really a failure. Because <laughs> you can fix a lot of stuff. Yeah, we break some stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think the value, again, comes back from the strength in our diversity of the topics that are so deeply researched here at the level of commitment that faculty, staff have. It's kind of surreal. Doesn't mean academia always lives like the private sector, but it's a really special place. And it is because of that diversity of thought, diversity in what we study that allows the, you know, overcoming hurdles to not seem so challenging. Yes, we persist. Yes, we're resilient, but it comes from the strength of the network. I need to bring up staff. I think we have some amazingly dedicated staff and what a lot of what we do, we couldn't do it on our own. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I do think, at least in the College of Ag, it is almost a family atmosphere. And our department seems like that for the most part. People are very supportive of each other. And like I said, that's part of the reason why I wear Purdue shirts when I travel around. I want to meet those other boilermakers out there, right? And talk to them and hear their experience. And, and I love when they're like, food science? Does that mean you cook? And then I get to have that conversation of what food science really (laughs) is. So it's just a good opportunity to connect. So I don't know. It means a lot. And just going out in the state, the alumni that we have are amazing. 38,000 living alumni from the College of Agriculture. Yeah. Demonstrates that. Right. Right. I mean, you tell people that and that they just are shocked at how much money can be raised. And that's just because there is that Purdue spirit. I, I mean, it's Because people genuinely benefited from yeah. their investment or time here. We're relevant. And I think keeping all three of our missions relevant has to be one of our major focuses. And I think... Because it, just, then it makes the return on it just so much more enjoyable and easier. But I think the administration is very supportive of all three missions. Yeah. It's not like one is put ahead of the other. It's everything is important. You know, it's like all the teaching awards you received and it's well-deserving, but that's celebrated just as much as any research, research award you got or extension award. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, so it's, I think it's, it's excellent. I think most people, I will say at least personally, I feel valued here. For Amanda, she got her PhD from Purdue and has been here for almost 20 years now. Here's what Purdue means to her. I was from an agricultural world. 
I grew up in a farm, small town. I spent however many years in a lab, right, doing research on my degrees. In the dark, like with no sunlight. Yeah, Yeah, no sunlight. But then I came back. So when I came here to do my PhD, and especially after I graduated, I came back to agriculture. I think it was always destined to happen. Uh You know, it's like I almost tried to get away from agriculture in a sense. But then it just pulled me right back in. And so it's totally been a pleasure working with all the growers throughout the state. We go around and give talks. I love going to meet alumni. You know, even when I travel internationally, I almost always wear a Purdue shirt. And it's amazing. I think pretty much every country I've been in, someone will come up to me and say, I did my undergrad at Purdue. I was even in India, in Bangalore. And was invited, they found out I was there and was invited to do an alumni event. And it, cause it was a whole bunch of computer science, cause Google has a major hub. Yeah, major hub there. And it was all these computer science grads from Purdue. And it was this huge, I mean, just tons in this like restaurant, but Purdue banners everywhere. And they, I was like the guest speaker. I was like, (laughs) Oh Lord, what did you say? But it's just, it's amazing how wherever you go in the world, you will find somebody who has a connection to Purdue. And I think that's, that's truly the cool part of being, and especially in the college bag. Haley agrees and wears her Purdue apparel proudly, especially on those long travel days. I've definitely taken notes from you on where, where more <laughs> Purdue badging. One, it'll get you out of a bind. People remember or definitely believe you when you're like professor or teacher, you're like, I can see that because you've got the credentials on you, which is helpful. But I don't know how many times and I'm an aisle seat sitter. And man, do we have some frequent flyer miles these days of how many times you'll be just at the edge of sleep because you're exhausted and you'll just hear boiler up and you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 lovely. It really is. And it's true. It never feels far from the Midwest. No. And what are Amanda and Haley's next giant leaps? In the food safety world, I think some of what we do, like it is preventative, but we're also responsive to what the next thing is. Food is ever, it's changing all the time. And I think what we always have to do is just keep up with those trends and stay on top of that. Listen to what the industry wants, what consumer wants. And we have to then modify what we do to answer that demand. So I think my next giant leap is just listen. I love that. And see what I have to do to help our stakeholders, help our students and, you know, help the people of Indiana. I think kind of really staying relevant. That's key. And it does happen through listening for sure. But from multiple angles, like you mentioned, private sector, industry, but also the consumer. If you produce something that nobody wants to buy, it doesn't matter. I think, you know, from a research or science perspective, Two things on my mind. One is the Food Safety Innovation Lab is a five-year contract, and I'd love to see that reach 10 years. And, and you know, we I think we've positioned, we've demonstrated we can work in some challenging conditions like a pandemic. We're also the leaders among the innovation labs in minority-serving institution engagement. That's probably the one thing that I am the most proud of about what we do is not only do we focus on on gender and getting information to the deciders in developing economies, but domestically, we have made sure that we are bringing along our institutions that are also land grants 
that may not have historically had the same opportunities that large institutions like Purdue has had. So I'm committed and excited about exploring how to keep moving in that direction um, with the Innovation Lab. And then the other, I, you know, we were putting together a big team where there's a lot of momentum building around, you can call it alternative proteins, but my specific interest is in cellular agriculture. Again, I don't see it as competition for commercial or traditional food systems, but yet a new food system. And while a lot of the investment has been done through venture capital, private sector, there has to be, a, there is a spot for academia at the table because you'll have your regulators, you'll have your innovation drivers, but academia has the, the unique space of sitting in between where we can explore the safety, we can explore nutrition, we can explore sustainability, efficiency, how we use commodities that we already have. How do we make that a truly viable food system that consumers accept? There's so many questions around that emerging system. I'm excited about it. There's not too many, I think, jobs in the world that allow you to be, to engage with a new food system. So, And it's scale too. I mean, yeah. we work with emerging food entrepreneurs that, you know, they're just starting out to the big industry and everybody has a place at the table. I think if we're really going to tackle sustainability and making sure that we can feed this growing population. Remember, if you want to check out our unique interview set up with Amanda and Haley, head over to our podcast YouTube page, youtube.com slash at sign, this is Purdue. And if you're curious about picking out that perfect fresh produce at the grocery store, We have exclusive bonus content on our podcast YouTube page where Amanda and Haley dive into food quality at grocery stores. Be sure to stay tuned for our additional Purdue Research Series episodes. We'll be dripping two more out throughout August and September. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Purdue is hosted and written by me, Kate Young. At this special podcast shoot for our second Purdue Research Series episode, our videography was led by Ted Schellenberger in collaboration with John Garcia, Thad Boone, and Zach Mogensen. We also had production assistance from Delaney Young, Carly Eastman, and Sophie Ritz. Our social media marketing is led by Ashley Schroyer and Maria Welch. Our podcast photography is led by John Underwood and Rebecca Robinos. Our podcast design is led by Caitlin Freeville. Our podcast team project manager is Emily Jessalitis. Our podcast YouTube promotion is managed by Megan Hoskins and Kirsten Vorse. Our podcast research is led by Sophie Ritz. And we had additional writing help from Joel Meredith. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave us a review. And as always, boiler up.